when a kid who is so scared and then you see them ring that bell when they get to the top and they're just beaming and you see mom to the left i'm getting goosebumps right now and mom is crying there's no price for these moments and i'm in love with the real challenge From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. Last summer, I had the pleasure of running a parent workshop at the Braille Challenge Finals and was pretty blown away with the work being done by Braille Institute. This event had kids come in from all over the country. Some of them had their teachers there and their families, and there was different workshops going on. And they also provided activities like rock climbing and artwork and crafts and things like that. And they just threw on this big party to celebrate these kids and their achievement in Braille. So my good friend and co-AER board member, Sergio Oliva from Braille Institute, was willing to share more with just a little arm twisting. Maybe when you listen to the podcast, you'll be able to decide for yourself if he came out of a shell. He recently became their Associate Vice President of National and Youth Programs and has already proven to be an important contributor to our field. I don't know if you know this about me, Emily, but every time I go to a conference, I have maybe four or five elevator speeches prepared, and they all have to do with something different, whether it's youth services, whether it's talking about technology, or maybe even just board development. So I always have my own elevator speech and my own thoughts, and what I've learned is that that sort of has helped me connect with different people, even though I don't quite understand sometimes like what exactly it is that person does but it's just very general templates i guess that's the best as i can describe it i come from a very large family and so it's a combination of my professional like skill set combined with a lot of my personal upbringing that i think has allowed me to really understand this job and realize that we all contribute something and this is the part that i would tell somebody that feels if they're not in the field or they feel like, oh, they don't really belong, there is room for every single person around the table, regardless of what uh, field you come from. I think that the common denominator is how are we going to move forward and really providing the best services or how do we deliver the best sort of whatever it is that you're doing. To say, oh, I'm 30-something years old and I just met, you know, some new life friends. It's a really neat and exciting thing. And so it's sort of like everything comes together, um, especially when one attends like a conference and, and then you just sort of, you know, go from there. And the more people that you actually meet and connect with, um, they're going to open doors and people start getting to know your personality and there's uh, certain talent and potential that others that have been in the field longer see that perhaps myself or others may not see, but um, we um, all come together and are able to uh, really work towards the same cause. And it just feels uh, amazing to be part of this movement to really provide key, amazing um, services and programs uh, for the population we all work with. You and I have talked before about how there's a lot of expertise in our field when it comes to blindness education and and Braille and 
you know, there's um, people usually join our field and then there's they stick around forever because they love it so much. But it's really cool that you brought in a different skill set. I know you've traveled a lot internationally. That's pretty cool. I was working for the city of L.A. and I oversaw a lot of after school programs. I was very much into like working in the city. However, there seems to be a different atmosphere there that whenever somebody that's a little bit younger does something that perhaps is pretty good or great, then automatically people assume that uh, that person wants to run for office. And that's really where I was. But I no longer was enjoying the day-to-day things that I was doing. And one of my life goals is to write a book about just my parents' background, being immigrants from Guatemala, and just really exploring Guatemala um, itself, like the actual country. And so I was talking to my boss, um, and she suggested that I take a leave of absence. And so in the fall of 2011, I decided to take a leave of absence from work for three months. The goal was that I was going to go to Guatemala, which I did, and uh, I was living in this small Mayan village that just had a bunch of tourists and a bunch of indigenous people that didn't quite speak Spanish. So in that village, I ended up meeting a lot of backpackers from Argentina, from Europe. Long story short, uh, the book was never written, and I resigned from my job, sold my car, withdrew my retirement account, and uh, decided to backpack through Latin America. And that began December of 2011, and I just met amazing individuals, had life experiences, worked along the way, um, and I ended up uh, in Brazil without money. And so I started a Get Sergio Out of South America campaign. Um, But one of the main things that I learned is I wanted to come back to L.A., and I really wanted to interview the company or the profession that I was going to, um, you know, take on or what was going to be my next steps. And so I don't know if people believe in coincidences or not, but I was back October 27th of 2012. Mm -hmm. And November 1st, I saw a posting for National Programs Manager at Braille Institute. And I thought, Braille Institute? I don't know Braille, but maybe I should apply because some of the managerial skills could be uh, transferred over. So I apply and I get an email maybe within 30 minutes of me submitting my resume and cover letter asking, um, they were setting up a, they wanted to set up an interview for January 1st. This is November 1st. So I thought, surely this Guatemalan guy can have a job before January 1st. But I, I, I said yes, that I was going to, uh, no, January 2nd. And so I thought I was going to have a job. And come December, um, I didn't have a job. And so I decided to interview for Braille Institute for this position. And I was really wary at first because I'm not from this field. And I thought, what am I really bringing to the table? But as I continue to go through the interview process, I met a lot of the different individuals. I met a lot of the youth staff and Something about not so much of the actual physical building here, but talking to the people uh, about their life uh, experiences or life stories just really uh, attracted me, and I wanted to learn more. So I was offered a job, and I had some concerns, um, but we were able to work through those. 
and I started off as the national programs manager uh, at Braille Institute. And what really attracted me to this position was the fact that there was no national programs department. And so my then boss told me that I was going to get to create uh, a new team and hire based on what I thought were the needs. And my main task was not just to develop a department, but to also um, take one of our other programs that was only here in Southern California, now known as KingQuest, and try to grow it nationally. And so that's really what attracted me. The operative word was create, and I love creating. I love thinking outside the box. It's really cool that you brought in a different skill set and your personal experiences and all those things that aren't specific to blindness, but I feel like have really bolstered Braille Challenge and the programs that are coming out of Braille Institute because people know who you are probably because of these awesome elevator speeches, which is a great idea. And and then, um, you know, Braille Challenge is like something that I think is even reaching a bigger and bigger audience. Is that statistically, is that true? It absolutely is. The reason why Braille Challenge started 22 years ago, back then the youth department wanted to start some sort of Braille competition to really address the unemployment rate uh, among the VI blind community adults. I don't remember exactly what age. So we as Braille Institute and the Braille Challenge Committee really wanted to start a program that would promote Braille literacy. And that was really like the only reason why Braille Challenge got started. What happened next, it's something that organically somebody at some point should probably do uh, some sort of research. And I think it sort of mirrors what happens in this field that people are very uh, collaborative and people are very welcoming. And so, first of all, we created a program in a box. And so, when we partner with a school for the blind or an agency, we give them, you know, the permission forms. We ship out the actual contest. Um, we give them collateral forms um, if they want to utilize that. Now we're getting more into the field of providing goodies or different prizes for the students at the regionals. And so a lot of things happen since the start of Braille Challenge. One of the best things that happened at Braille Challenge is this whole word that people talk about, which is socialization. We all know that most of the students are mainstream that come to Braille Challenge. And a lot of them are um, still, you know, the one or a few people uh, with visual impairment uh, at their school. And so when they attend um, Braille Challenge, you have a couple of different tracks. So you have those families that they don't participate in sports. So Braille Challenge turns into a very competitive sort of approach for some families across the country. But then you also have those that just attend to just socialize with other students and to really mingle and get to know what is going on. And so Braille Challenge stumbled upon this whole piece of socialization, allowing students to connect with their similar peers. While students are in their actual competition classrooms, we have parent workshops. And Emily, thank you so much. You were one of the presenters at uh, our Braille Challenge finals, and you talked about the Bill of Rights for children. And that workshop, I should probably forward you (laughs) emails, but they got great reviews. And so my point to all this is that Braille Challenge is not just about Braille literacy. It actually promotes a sense of community. So you bring transcribers in the mix, you bring other volunteers, you bring staff from that agency, uh, parents, mom, dad, grandma shows up sometimes. 
And so Braille Challenge was growing steadily since we started with another second regional. We're up to 55 this year, and we haven't really been marketing this program to grow it. And so what is attracting new regional challenges is the fact that now everybody's using UEB. So Canada has actually added another regional this year, and they're expected to add more because we use the same code now. And also, we're really taking two very giant steps for Braille Challenge. And so the first one is we're rolling out, if everybody's familiar with Braille Challenge, uh, it's for, there's, different, there's five different categories that are broken down based on academic grades. We're adding a sixth category that we're going to call foundational category. Um, Dr. Adam Wilton and Kay Holbrook out of British Columbia are actually working on this. And so mm. this sixth category is going to really welcome anybody, regardless of where you're at with your Braille skills, um, there's a place where you have the Braille challenge because it's not just about competition. It's about you meeting individuals, making friends, about parents connecting with other parents, bringing vendors to really showcase the latest and best of whatever is going on so that we can expose people um, to these different things. And so Braille Challenge, honestly, I expect Braille Challenge to, at one point, it's probably going to grow and end up at like 80 regionals. Uh, We're at 55. I got here six and a half years ago, and we were at 43. And so this program will continue to grow by default. The other thing that is going to attract a lot of different uh, individuals, and by the individuals, I really am referring to the older students in high school. So right now, what we use for Braille Challenge is we use Perkins Brailler. And uh, some of the older students, like 10th, 11th, especially the seniors in high school, some of them actually still attend the regional to see their friends and to attend a workshop, but they don't want to participate because they haven't used the Perkins Brailler in a long time. Hmm. So the biggest initiative we're working on right now is how do we marry digital and Braille literacy? And so we're looking at uh, refreshable displays that we can pair with iPads and have the Braille Challenge that way. So that's really Braille Challenge 2.0. And we strongly feel that once we sort of uh, figure out a way to roll that out, um, it's going to really attract a lot more participation. This last year, we had a little bit over 1,200 students that actually sent in their permission forms that we tracked their scores. When I started here, we were at 700 and something. It continues to grow and it continues to really uh, expand. And being part of this network of different regional coordinators, um, all 55 of them, we have different calls. And so there's a lot of uh, sharing of ideas. Um, This is what I did. This is what workshop really worked with the parents. And so there's starting to be a lot more conversations among the different regionals. And so all these different factors are going to continue uh, to allow Braille Challenge to grow in a very organic way. I, as you know, and as you mentioned, I attended my first national competition in June and was totally impressed with the fanfare and and the party that you throw these kids. I mean, you guys had activities and climbing walls, and but you also had collegiate marching band and a dance party at the end and a giant banquet and everything. What kind of impact do you think that has on the students and their families? So I tear up all the time at Braille Challenge, but I kind of, uh, you know, go to go towards the back or hide because I don't want people to know that I'm crying, but <laughs> everybody in the world who listens to your podcast now is going to know. <laughs> so the reason why I tear up is because um, take when you came here at finals. 
So it's a two-day event. So on Friday, all the families get in here to LA. They're you know just getting comfortable. Um, so we have activities for them here on the Braille Institute premises. We used to uh, pay um, celebrities to come and speak, and we used to create these great um, stages. And we were at the Universal Hilton by Universal Studios. But one of the things that I did when I got here really started um, serving a lot of parents. Like, what is the motivating factor um, for you to attend a regional? Is it that you're coming to potentially meet a celebrity? And overwhelmingly, parents said, no, we just want to go to compete or we it, it could be anywhere. And so taking that combined with um, really this approach of demystifying higher ed for the visually impaired blind community has really, uh, that's what really led us to move the actual event to a college campus. Hmm. So now the University of Southern California is the host of the national, uh, well, I shouldn't say national because Canada too, so of Braille Challenge finals. Um, but yeah, so that's on Saturday. Hmm. And so then on Friday, when we have activities like a rock climbing wall, or we have, you know, decorate your own uh, garden rock with different tactile things. Every activity that the committee selects has to connect some in some way, which is not that difficult when you think about it, to one of the nine ETC areas. And so the rock climbing wall, like talk about self-determination or just mm-hmm. using some of your basic mobility skills. And so students, while they don't maybe perhaps uh, connect the dots right there and then, this skill is still being promoted. Um, decorating, you know, like their tactile garden rock, um, again, trying to promote the, uh, uh, more of the sensory efficiency skills. Mm-hmm. We also have a lot of different vendors. We partner with ATH, with IRA, uh, with Humanware. And so then they showcase their devices here too. And so this is an opportunity for students to either test or get to play around with different devices. One of the things that I keep learning and people keep telling me when I go around the country is that not every state has access to these devices. Mm-hmm. And even some of these finalists who are academically at the top of their game um, don't have basic access to some of these um, tech devices. So it's really a neat opportunity to really, again, uh, make it educational, but make it fun at the same time. And when a kid who is so scared of doing a, the rock climbing wall and then you see them ring that bell when they get to the top and they're just beaming. They're just so proud. And you see mom to the left. I'm getting goosebumps right now. And mom is crying. Like these moments, there's no price for these moments. And so it does become this Braille Challenge uh, finals community that people continue to give back. Like families want to stay in touch. This is why we started what's called the Braille Challenge Alumni Network because a lot of students want to connect with one another. Students that come to finals uh, and have moved on to college, want to mentor those that are going to be in their first year of college. You can get into a great school, you can have the best Braille skills, but then our students from Braille Challenge Finals that are going to colleges are having a tough time just, again, socializing, getting to know different people. This is in an effort to sort of uh, pair them with somebody that already went through that and can actually serve as a mentor for them. So there's a lot of things going on. And it's not just, I know we were talking about the Friday activities, but it expands beyond the rock climbing wall, beyond all this. So I'm in love with the Braille Challenge. It's a really neat program. That's great. 
I am too after coming to finals. I know the Braille Challenge isn't the only national event you support, so just maybe tell us just a little bit about Cane Quest. When I started here, we wanted to create another program that paired uh, with the Braille Challenge. With this whole concept of going into the workforce, promoting Braille literacy, going to college, or taking a next step after high school, great, you have your Braille literacy skills down in theory. So how are you going to get from point A to point B? And that's really where the program King Quest came from. So King Quest is one-day orientation mobility competition where we test different travel skill techniques and we simulate different travel options. And so King Quest, we're now up to 16 different regionals across the U.S., and for Southern California, again, with this whole effort of demystifying higher education, we partnered with the California State University O&M program with Dr. Diane Fauzi. And so they're now the host of King Quest. And so the actual route that they follow, uh, and we involved uh, all kinds of certified O&M specialists who are the ones that utilize a rubric that has been validated by Dr. Jen Smar out of Mississippi State. Uh, and we have trainings in the morning, and so then they test the students based on their different skills, whether it's uh, care of cane or boarding a bus or residential crossing to some of the younger kids. We have them do stairs up, stairs down, um, you know, touch and drag. And so the main reason why Kinkless has gotten such a buzz is because this age group, especially the teenagers or the younger kids, sometimes don't want to use their cane. And we kept hearing that from parents, like, oh, you know, young Emily doesn't want to use her cane. I'm showing up to a Saturday program. Hey, where's young Emily's cane? She didn't want to bring it. So that's an opportunity to talk to the parents. But also King Quest uh, really helps. It does promote, uh, encourage the students to practice their O&M skills because we have a lot of neat prizes to give away. Well, we all like prizes. I do. Who doesn't like prizes? (laughs) How do you think Braille Institute fits into the bigger picture for educating students who are blind or visually impaired? I think that Braille Institute is one of many organizations trying to promote, whether it's ECC or just more independence or where are we going with our youth or where are they going and what's the next step after high school um, and just really planning out that their life trajectory. I think some of the things that we're working on, um, it's really honing in on our youth programs, which are enrichment programs, but we follow uh, all the different nine areas and that's what we really teach. One of the things that we're doing is really um, working with a lot more parent engagement. And so when you ask me, when I think like, what, how does um, Braille Institute fit into this larger picture? Uh, my which would be to really start sharing a lot of these best practices um, for not just our youth program, you know, some of our Braille Challenge initiatives that we're doing. I think Braille Institute can be uh, play a big role in bringing everybody together under this umbrella of promoting Braille literacy. A lot of people uh, that I talk to that um, even some people that are in our field think that Braille is going away. And so that's something that we're very committed to continuing to promote. Um, In the spring of 2020, we're going to announce what we're going to call Braille Institute's Braille Literacy Initiative and the different efforts that we are doing to really promote Braille literacy. And we hope that 
we partner with the rest of like the country, we have a lot to uh, work in terms of to get done in terms of moving forward with um, partnering with different institutions like different schools for the blind or maybe having uh, an exchange of students. So the possibilities are endless. Mm -hmm. And I hope uh, to continue seeing Braille Institute really contribute to um, how to provide key and quality services uh, for the population that we're discussing. So how do people find out more? Where's the best place to find information on Braille Institute? All right. So two things. They can either check out brailleinstitute.org, or if you want to talk to one of our live agents, you can call 1-800-BRAILLE. Really? You have live agents? Yeah. Well, uh, it's only four, but... Uh. <laughs> That's plural. <laughs> that's, that's pretty impressive. Thanks for being our first phone interview because this opens up all kinds of opportunities. It's cool. It's very cool. <laughs> Are you looking to find ways for your child to have increased participation in their lives? Join us February 27th through the 29th at Hyatt Regency in North Houston for Texas Focus 2020. At the conference, we will explore tools and strategies to empower all children with visual impairments. For registration and information about events at Texas Focus 2020, visit tsbvi.edu. As with most things in life, the experience of those organizing something and those engaging with it are pretty different. Obviously, the best person to tell us about the Braille Challenge would be a participant, which is why we asked Jackie, one of TSBVI's 8th graders, to stop on by. Hi, my name is Jackie, and... I am in eighth grade and I am 15 years old. I hear you're a braille reader, is that true? Yes. How old were you when you started learning braille? I was about like three or four when I started learning braille. Wow, so you've been at it for 12, 11 or 12 years. Yes. Somebody told me that you participate in the braille challenge here in Texas whenever you can. What do you like about the braille challenge? I like the braille challenge because it makes your brain kind of like think about what you're doing and also because I get to meet new friends from all around Austin. I know it's a competition and it's they do timed stuff too, right? You have to do stuff in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Does that make you nervous? No, not really. I just like the fact that it's really, like really fun because usually in public school I never I never got involved in these type of competitions. Oh. Well, how long have you been here at TSBBI? I've been here for like four and a half years. Okay, and you didn't do the Braille Challenge before you came here? Um, no, but I did like a technology Olympics thing with Region 13. What kind of stuff do you do with the new friends you meet at the Braille Challenge? Do they have like activities and stuff? Um, yes, like I remember two years ago we played with um, cup stacking cups and um, I got to like have a conversa- conversation with them and um, I know this girl named Tatiana and she told me where she's from, like from I think North Dakota and South Dakota and I was really surprised because I didn't know that um, some of the Braille Challenge kids came from there and then moved to Austin. So it sounds like your favorite thing about the Braille Challenge isn't necessarily the Braille, but it's getting to kind of hang out with other kids and have a good time? Yeah, but I also love the Braille. Do you love the Braille? Yes. Are you, Do you read for fun, like on the weekends? Um, yes, I read for fun right now. I'm reading um, Nancy Drew, the musical oh. festival. Oh. I love Nancy Drew books. What are, are there any other book series that you like? Um, I also like American Girl books. 
Oh, do you have a favorite one of those? Well, I haven't read all of them, but I like pretty much the ones that I've read. They're really good books. It's <laughs> good. They have a lot of history in them, don't they? Yes. Yeah, that, that's the part I like. So our Braille Challenge is coming up in February. Are you going to sign up this year? Yeah, in fact, I already signed up. Oh, do you think you're going to be a strong competitor? Yeah, but I'm also going to give um, people the opportunity to also win. Oh, well, that's pretty nice of you. What are you looking forward to for our next Braille Challenge? Um, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing what uh, stories they have in the competition and also especially meeting new friends. And I'm hoping to see Tatiana there. Oh, good. Yeah, but most of all, I loved reading Braille and I still love reading Braille to this day. The Texas Central Regional Braille Challenge will be held at TSBVI on February 1st, and I hope to see Jackie there. Many thanks to Braille Institute for their national efforts on behalf of students, and to Sergio for continually upping their game. He's a keeper. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.